Section 8 of Once a Week by A. A. Milne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 Getting Married. The Day. Probably you thought that getting married was quite a simple business. So did I. We were both wrong. It is the very Dickens. Of course, I am not going to draw back now. As I keep telling Celia, her Ronald is a man of powerful fibre. When he says he will do a thing, he does it. Eventually. She shall have her wedding all right. I have sworn it. But I do wish that there weren't so many things to be arranged first. The fact that we had to fix a day was broken to me one afternoon when Celia was showing me to some relatives of hers in Addison Road. I got entangled with an elderly cousin on the hearth rug, and though I know nothing about motorcycles, I talked about them for several hours under the impression that they were his subject. It turned out afterwards that he was equally ignorant of them, but thought they were mine. Perhaps we shall get on better at a second meeting. However, just when we were both thoroughly sick of each other, Celia broke off her gay chat with an aunt to say to me, By the way, Ronald, we did settle on the 11th, didn't we? I looked at her blankly, my mind naturally full of motor bicycles. The wedding, smiled Celia. Right ho, I said with enthusiasm. I was glad to be assured that I should not go on talking about motor bicycles forever, and that on the 11th, anyhow, there would be a short interruption for the ceremony. Feeling almost friendly to the cousin, I plunged into his favorite subject again. On the way home, Celia returned to the matter. Or would you rather it was the 12th? she asked. I've never heard a word about this before, I said. It all comes as a surprise to me. Why, I'm always asking you. Well, it's very forward of you, and I don't know what young people are coming to nowadays. Celia, what's the good of my talking to your cousin for three hours about motor bicycling? Surely one can get married just as well without that. One can't get married without settling the day, said Celia, coming cleverly back to the point. Well, I suppose one can't, but somehow I had expected to be spared all this bother. I think my idea was that Celia would say to me, suddenly, one evening, By the way, Ronald, don't forget we're being married tomorrow. And I should have said, Where? And on being told the time and place, I should have turned up pretty punctually, and after my best man had told me where to stand and the clergyman had told me what to say, and my solicitor had told me where to sign my name, we should have driven from the church a happy married couple, and in the carriage Celia would have told me where we were spending the honeymoon. However, it was not to be so. All right, the eleventh, I said. Any particular month? No, smiled Celia. Just any month, or, if you like, every month. The 11th of June, I surmised. It is probably the one day in the year on which my Uncle Thomas cannot come. 
But no matter, the eleventh let it be. Then that's settled. And at St. Miriam's? For some reason, Celia has set her heart on St. Miriam's. Personally, I have no feeling about it. St. Andrew's by the wardrobe, or St. Bartholomew's without, would suit me equally well. All right, I said, St. Miriam's. There, you might suppose, the matter would have ended, but no. Then you will see about it tomorrow. I was appalled at the idea. Surely, I said, this is for you, or your father, or, or somebody to arrange. Of course it's for the bridegroom, protested Celia. In theory, perhaps, but anyhow not the bridegroom personally. His best man, or his solicitor, or... I mean, you're not suggesting that I myself... Oh, well, if you insist. Still, I must say, I don't see what's the good of having a best man and a solicitor if... Oh, all right, Celia, I'll go tomorrow. So I went. For half an hour I padded round St. Miriam's nervously, and then, summoning up all my courage, I knocked my pipe out and entered. I want, I said jauntily to a sexton, or a sacristan, or something, I want, er, a wedding. And I added, for two. He didn't seem as nervous as I was. He inquired quite calmly when I wanted it. The 11th of June, I said. It's probably the one day in the year on which my Uncle Thomas, however, that wouldn't interest you, the point is that it's the eleventh. The clerk consulted his wedding book. Then he made the surprising announcement that the only day he could offer me in June was the seventeenth. I was amazed. I am a very old customer, I said reproachfully. I mean, I have often been to your church in my time. Surely we've weddings fixed on all the other days. Yes, yes, but you could persuade somebody to change his day, couldn't you? Or, if he is very much set on being married on the 11th, you might recommend some other church to him. I dare say you know of some good ones. You see, Celia, uh, my, that is, we're particularly keen, for some reason, on St. Miriam's. The clerk didn't appreciate my suggestion. He insisted that the 17th was the only day. "'Then will you have the 17th?' he asked. "'My dear fellow, I can't possibly say offhand,' I protested. "'I am not alone in this. I have a friend with me. I will go back and tell her what you say. She may decide to withdraw her offer altogether.' I went back and told Celia. "'Bother,' she said. "'What shall we do?' There are other churches. There's your own, for example. Yes, but you know I don't like that. Why shouldn't we be married on the 17th? I don't know at all. It seems an excellent day. It lets in my Uncle Thomas. Of course, it may exclude my Uncle William, but one can't have everything. 
Then will you go and fix it for the 17th tomorrow? Can't I send my solicitor this time? I asked. Of course, if you particularly want me to go myself, I will. But really, dear, I seem to be living at St. Miriam's nowadays. And even that wasn't the end of the business. For just as I was leaving her, Celia broke it to me that St. Miriam's was neither in her parish nor in mine, and that, in order to qualify as a bridegroom, I should have to hire a room somewhere near. But I'm very comfortable where I am, I assured her. You needn't live there, Ronald. You only want to leave a hat there, you know. Oh, very well, I sighed. She came to the hall with me, and having said good-bye to her, I repeated my lesson. The 17th, fix it up tomorrow, take a room near St. Miriam's, and leave a hat there. Good-bye. Good-bye. And, oh, Ronald, she looked at me critically as I stood in the doorway. You might leave that one, she said. Furnishing. By the way, said Celia suddenly, what have you done about the fixtures? Nothing, I replied truthfully. Well, we must do something about them. Yes, my solicitor, he shall do something about them. Don't let's talk about them now. I've only got three hours more with you, and then I must dash back to my work. I must say that any mention of fixtures has always bored me intensely. When it was a matter of getting a house to live in, I was all energy. As soon as Celia had found it, I put my solicitor onto it, and within a month I had signed my name in two places and was the owner of a highly residential flat in the best part of the neighborhood. But my effort so exhausted me that I have felt utterly unable since to cope with the question of the curtain-rod in the bathroom, or whatever it is that Celia means by fixtures. These things will arrange themselves somehow, I feel confident. Meanwhile, the decorators are hard at work. A thrill of pride inflates me when I think of the decorators at work. I don't know how they got there. I suppose I must have ordered them. Celia says that she ordered them and chose all the papers herself, and that all I did was to say that the papers she had chosen were very pretty. But this doesn't sound the least like me. I am convinced that I was the man of action when it came to ordering decorators. And now, said Celia one day, we can go and choose the electric light fittings. Celia, I said in admiration, you're a wonderful person. I should have forgotten all about them. Why, they're about the most important thing in the flat. Somehow I never regarded anybody as choosing them. I thought they just grew in the wall from bulbs. When we got into the shop, Celia became businesslike at once. We'd better start with the hall, she told the man. Everybody else will have to, I said, so we may as well. What sort of a light did you want there? he asked. A strong one, I said, so as to be able to watch our guests carefully when they pass the umbrella stand. Celia waved me away and explained that we wanted a hanging lantern, 
It appeared that this shop made a specialty not so much of the voltage as of the lamps enclosing it. "'How do you like that?' asked the man, pointing to a magnificent affair in brass. He wandered off to a switch and turned it on. "'Dare you ask him the price?' I asked Celia. "'It looks to me about a thousand pounds.' If it is, say that you don't like the style. Don't let him think we can't afford it. Yes, said Celia in a careless sort of way. I'm not sure that I care about that. How much is it? Two pounds. I was not going to show my relief. Without the light, of course, I said disparagingly. How do you think it would look in the hall, said Celia to me? I think our guests would be encouraged to proceed. They'd see that we were pretty good people. I don't like it. It's too ornate. Then show us something less ornate, I told the man sternly. He showed us things less ornate. At the end of an hour, Celia said she thought we'd better get on to another room and come back to the hall afterwards. We decided to proceed to the drawing room. We must go all out over these, said Celia. I want these to be really beautiful. At the end of another hour, Celia said she thought we'd better get on to my workroom. My workroom, as the name implies, is the room to which I am to retire when I want complete quiet. Sometimes I shall go there after lunch and have it. We can come back to the drawing room afterwards, she said. It's really very important that we should get the right ones for that. Your room won't be so difficult, but of course you must have awfully nice ones. I looked at my watch. It's a quarter to one, I said. At 2.15 on the 17th of June, we are due at St. Miriam's. If you think we shall have bought anything by then, let's go on. If, as it seems to me, there is no hope at all... Then let's have lunch today, anyhow. After lunch, we may be able to find some way out of the impasse. After lunch, I had an idea. This afternoon, I said, we will begin to get some furniture together. But what about the electric fittings? We must finish off those. This is an experiment. I want to see if we can buy a chest of drawers. It may just be our day for it. And we settle the fittings tomorrow, yes? I don't know. We may not want them. It all depends on whether we can buy a chest of drawers this afternoon. If we can't, then I don't see how we can ever be married on the 17th of June. Somebody's got to be, because I've engaged the church. The question is whether it's going to be us. Let's go and buy a chest of drawers this afternoon and see. The old gentleman in the little shop Celia knew of was delighted to see us. Chestuses? Ah, you have come to the right place. He led the way into the depths. There now, there's a chest, real old that is. He gave it a hearty smack. You don't see a chest like that nowadays. They can't make them. Three pound ten. I knew it was our day, I said. Real old, that is. Spanish mahogany, all oak-lined. 
That's right, sir. Pull the drawers out and see for yourself. Let the lady see. There's no imitation there, lady. A real old chest, that is. Come in here in a week, and you'd have to pay five pounds for it. Meogany's going up, you see. That's how. Well, I said to Celia, it's perfectly sweet. Hadn't we better see some more? We saw two more. Both of them, Spanish meogany, oak-lined. Pull the drawers out and see for yourself, lady. Half an hour passed rapidly. Well, I said, I really don't know which I like best. Which do you? Uh, the first. It's nearer the door. There's another shop just over the way. We'd better just look there, too, and then we could come back and decide tomorrow. We went out. I glanced at my watch. It was 3.30, and we were being married at 2.15 on the 17th of June. Wait a moment, I said. I've forgotten my gloves. I may be a slow starter, but I am very firm when roused. I went into the shop, wrote a check for the three chests of drawers, and told the man where to send them. When I returned, Celia was at the shop opposite, pulling the drawers out of a real old mahogany chest, which was standing out on the pavement. "'This is even better,' she said. "'It's perfectly adorable. I wonder if it's more expensive.' "'I'll just ask,' I said." I went in, and, without an unnecessary word, bought that chest, too. Then I came back to Celia. It was 3.45, and on the 17th of June, at 2.15, well, we had four chests of drawers towards it. Celia, I said, we may just do it yet. The Honeymoon I know I oughtn't to be dallying here, I said. I ought to be doing something strenuous in preparation for the wedding, counting the bells at St. Miriam's, or varnishing the floors in the flat, or tell me what I ought to be doing, Celia, and I'll go on not doing it for a bit. There's the honeymoon, said Celia. I knew there was something. Do tell me what you're doing about it. "'Thinking about it. "'You haven't written to anyone about rooms yet?' "'Celia,' I said reproachfully, "'you seem to have forgotten why I am marrying you.' "'When Celia was browbeaten into her present engagement, "'she said frankly that she was only consenting to marry me "'because of my pianola, which she had always coveted. "'In return, I pointed out that I was only asking her to marry me because I wanted somebody to write my letters. There opened before me in that glad moment a vista of invitations and accounts rendered, all answered promptly by Celia, instead of put off till next month by me. It was a wonderful vision to one who, very properly, detests letter-writing. And yet, here she was, even before the ceremony, expecting me to enter into a deliberate correspondence with all sorts of strange people who as yet had not come into my life at all. It was too much. We will get, I said, your father to write some letters for us. But what's he got to do with it? 
I don't want to complain of your father, Celia, but it seems to me that he is not doing his fair share. There ought to be a certain give and take in the matter. I find you a nice church to be married in. Good. He finds you a nice place to honeymoon in. Excellent. After all, you are still his daughter. All right, said Celia. I'll ask father to do it. Dear Mrs. Bunn, my little boy wants to spend his holidays with you in June. I am writing to ask you if you will take care of him and see that he doesn't do anything dangerous. He has a nice disposition, but wants watching. She patted me on the head gently. Something like that. I got up and went to the writing desk. I can see I shall have to do it myself, I sighed. Give me the address, and I'll begin. But we haven't quite settled where we're going yet, have we? I put the pen down, thankfully, and went back to the sofa. Good, then I needn't write today, anyhow. It is wonderful, dear, how difficulties roll away when you face them. Almost at once we arrive at the conclusion that I needn't write today. Splendid. Well, where shall we go? This will want a lot of thought, perhaps. I added, I needn't write tomorrow. We had almost fixed on England, hadn't we? Somebody was telling me that Linton was very beautiful. I should like to go to Linton. But everyone goes to Linton for their honeymoon. Then let's be original and go to Birmingham. The happy couple left for Birmingham, where the honeymoon will be spent. Sensation. The bride left the train at Ealing. More sensation. I think the great thing, I said, trying to be businesslike, is to fix the county first. If we fixed on Rutland, then the rest would probably be easy. The great thing, said Celia, is to decide what we want. Sea, or river, or mountains, or, or golf. At the word golf, I coughed and looked out of the window. Now, I am very fond of Celia, I mean of golf, and but <clears throat> what I really mean, <clears throat> of course, is that I am very fond of both of them, but I do think that on a honeymoon Celia should come first. After all, I shall have plenty of other holidays for golf, although, of course, three weeks in the summer without any golf at all. Still, I think Celia should come first. Our trouble, I said to her, is that neither of us has ever been on a honeymoon before, and so we've no idea what it will be like. After all, why should we get bored with each other? Surely we don't depend on golf to amuse us. All the same, I think your golf would amuse me, said Celia. Besides, I want you to be as happy as you possibly can be. Yes, but supposing I was slicing my drives all the time, I should be miserable. I should be torn between the desire to go back to London and have a lesson with the professional, and the desire to stay on honeymooning with you. One can't be happy in a quandary like that. Very well, then. No golf. Settled? Quite. Now, then, let's decide about the scenery. What sort of soil do you prefer? 
When I left Celia that day, we had agreed on this much, that we wouldn't bother about golf, and that the mountains, rivers, valleys, and so on, should be left entirely to nature. All we were to inquire for was, in the words of an advertisement Celia had seen, a perfect spot for a honeymoon. In the course of the next day, I heard of seven spots, varying from a spot in Surrey, dotted with firs, to a dot in the Pacific, spotted with, I forget what, natives, probably. Taken together, they were the seven only possible spots for a honeymoon. We shall have to have seven honeymoons, I said to Celia, when I had told her my news, one honeymoon, one spot. Wait, she said, I have heard of an ideal spot. Speaking as a spot expert, I don't think that's necessarily better than an only possible spot, I objected. Still, tell me about it. Well, to begin with, it's close to the sea. So we can bathe when we're bored. Good. And quite a good mountain, and lovely walks, and, in fact, everything. Except a picture palace, luckily. It sounds all right, I said doubtfully. We might just spend the next day or two thinking about my seven spots, and then I might, possibly, feel strong enough to write. Oh, I nearly forgot. I have written, Ronald. You have, I cried. Then, my dear, what else matters? It's a perfect spot. I lay back in relief. And there, thank Evings, is another thing settled. Bless you. Yes, and, by the way, there is golf quite close, too. But that, she smiled, needn't prevent us going there. Of course not. We shall just ignore the course. Perhaps, so as to be on the safe side, you'd better leave your clubs behind. Perhaps I'd better, I said carelessly. All the same, I don't think I will. One never knows what may happen, and at the outset of one's matrimonial career, to have to go to the expense of an entirely new set of clubs would be a most regrettable business. Seasonable Presents I suppose, I said, it's too late to cancel this wedding now? Well, said Celia, the invitations are out, and the presents are pouring in, and Mother's just ordered the most melting dress for herself that you ever saw. Besides, who's to live in the flat, if we don't? There's a good deal in what you say. Still, I am alarmed, seriously alarmed. Look here. I drew out a printed slip and flourished it before her. Not a writ, my poor Ronald. Worse than that, this is St. Miriam's bill of fare for weddings. Celia, I had no idea marriage was so expensive. I thought one rolled gold ring would practically see it. It was a formidable document. Starting with full choir and organ, which came to a million pounds, and working down through boys' voices only and red carpet to 
policemen for controlling traffic per policeman five shillings it included altogether some two dozen ways of disposing of my savings if we have the whole menu i said i shall be ruined you wouldn't like to have a ruined husband celia took the list and went through it carefully i might say season i suggested or press well to begin with said celia we needn't have a full choir need we have an organ or a choir at all in thanking people for their kind presence you might add by the way do you sing then we could arrange to have all the warblers in front my best man or my solicitor could give the note boys voices only decided celia then what about bells i should like some nice bells if the price is per bell we might give an order for five good ones let's do without bells you see they don't begin to ring till we've left the church so they won't be any good to us this seemed to me an extraordinary line to take my dear child i remonstrated the whole thing is being got up not for ourselves but for our guests we shall be much too preoccupied to appreciate any of the good things we provide the texture of the red carpet or the quality of the singing i dreamt last night that i quite forgot about the wedding ring till one thirty on the actual day and the only cab i could find to take me to a jeweller's was drawn by a camel of course it may not turn out to be as bad as that but it will certainly be an anxious afternoon for both of us and so we must consider the entertainment entirely from the point of view of our guests whether their craving is for champagne or bells it must be satisfied i'm sure they'll be better without bells because when the policemen call out mr spiffkin's carriage mr spiffkin's mightn't hear if there were a lot of bells clashing about very well no bells but mind you i said sternly i shall insist on a clergyman we went through the rest of the menu course by course i know what i shall do i said at last i shall call on my friend the clerk again and i shall speak to him quite frankly i shall say here is a cheque for a thousand pounds it is all i can afford and by the way you'd better pay it in quickly or it will be dishonoured can you do us up a nice wedding for a thousand inclusive like the christmas hampers at the stores exactly a dozen boys voices a half dozen of bells ten yards of awning and twenty-four oranges or vergers or whatever it is we ought to get a nice parcel for a thousand pounds or said celia we might send the list round to our friends as suggestions for wedding presents i'm sure jane would love to give us a couple of policemen we'd much better leave the whole thing to your father i incline more and more to the opinion that it is his business to provide the wedding i must ask my solicitor about it he's providing the bride yes but i think he might go further i can't help feeling that the bells would come very well from him bride's father to bridegroom a peal of bells people would think it was something in silver for the hall 
It would do him a lot of good in business circles. And that reminds me, smiled Celia, there's been some talk about a present from Miss Popley. I have come to the conclusion that it is impossible to get married decently unless one's life is ordered on some sort of system. Mine never has been, and the result is that I make terrible mistakes, particularly in the case of Miss Popley. At the beginning of the business, when the news got round to Miss Popley, I received from her a sweet letter of congratulation. Knowing that she was rather particular in these matters, I braced myself up and thanked her heartily by return of post. Three days later, when looking for a check I had lost, I accidentally came across her letter. Help! Help! I cried. This came days ago, and I haven't answered yet. I sat down at once and thanked her enthusiastically. Another week passed, and I began to feel that I must really make an effort to catch my correspondence up. So I got out all my letters of congratulation of the last ten days and devoted an afternoon to answering them. I used much the same form of thanks in all of them, with the exception of Miss Popley's, which was phrased particularly warmly. So much for that, but Miss Popley is Celia's dear friend also. When I made out my list of guests, I included Miss Popley. So, in her list, did Celia. The result was that Miss Popley received two invitations to the wedding. Sometimes I fear she must think we are pursuing her. What does she say about a present? I asked. She wants us to tell her what we want. What are we to say if we said an elephant with a small card tied onto his ear and best wishes from Miss Popley on it? It would look heavenly among the other presents. You see what I mean, Celia? Are we to suggest something worth a thousand pounds, or something worth nine pence? It's awfully kind of her, but it makes it jolly difficult for us. Something that might cost anything from nine pence to a thousand pounds, suggested Celia. Then that washes out the elephant. Can't you get the ninepenny ones now? I suppose, I said, reverting to the subject which most weighed on me, she wouldn't like to give the men's voices for the choir. No, I think a clock, said Celia. A clock can cost anything you like or don't like. Righto, and perhaps we'd better settle now. When it comes, how many times shall we write and thank her for it? Celia considered. Four times, I think, she said. Well, as Celia says, it's too late to draw back now, but I shall be glad when it's all over. As I began by saying, there's too much arranging and settling and fixing about the thing for me. In the necessary negotiations and preparations, I fear I have not shown. And so I shall be truly glad when we have settled down in our flat, and Celia can restore my confidence in myself once more by talking loudly to her domestic staff about the master. End of section 8